Welcome to Desire Brethren Podcast, or should I say, for our elderly listeners who are tuning in, welcome! <laughs> it's good! <laughs> oh, Dave is so incensed right now. <laughs> but that's most of our openings. So, welcome to Desire Brethren Podcast. I'm Tanner Hobbs. I'm David Short. And I'm Olive Fogarty. Olive is with us again for a second episode. We are talking about nursing homes today, uh, which I didn't think was interesting at the beginning, but then I did a bunch of research and I find this topic fascinating. So the reason we're talking about it is because Olive is the expert. Tell us about how much of an expert you are, Olive. (laughs) I'm really not that much of an expert. When did you start working at the Lunaberg, whatever it's called? So I was in high school. Actually, my sister worked in the dietary department at the nursing home in town. So she kind of got involved. A couple years later, I kind of took over her job. (laughs) So I started working in dietary. So through that, I kind of started to be a little bit more exposed to elderly people and I started interacting with them some more and then I decided that I wanted to pursue a bit of a career in something that involved people and directly affected them so I decided to take a community college course called the continuing care assistant program and I started working in the same nursing home working at the bedside with the people So you've kind of seen two different angles on the same thing Mm -hmm. there, which is really cool. And I've learned a lot just from hearing your stories and things like that, because I don't know a lot about this. Before we begin, let's get the political correctness out of the way. Olive, I'm going to give a term for elderly people, and you're going to give me the A-OK or the no for whether we can say that during this podcast. Okay. Uh, Old people or old folks' homes. Uh the issue with that is that the older people might be offended. <laughs> so. Okay. But if we say it really quietly, they won't be able to hear us. <laughs> right, Dave? <laughs> um, what about codgers? I don't even know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> Cougars? Uh, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Nearly dead. <laughs> no. Okay, good to know. I'm glad that's out of the way. <laughs> so you have this experience. Now that you've done it, Dave and I are going to... Do you have questions, Dave? Because I have a bunch, but do you have I any? Do. Okay. We're just going to ask you a bunch of questions, all of What's the biggest struggle that the average elderly person in a nursing home faces? Is it pain? Is it loneliness? Is it depression? Boredom? Like, what is the struggle for... I think it is different for everybody because depending on their age and why they're there, um, definitely their health is a big issue because depending on what they're struggling with, like if somebody has MS or Parkinson's, their struggle is going to be a little bit different than someone who's just 90 years old and needs help, right? So, um, but generally the most 
pain isn't necessarily physical. It's more that they feel abandoned. They feel like they've been put there to die. They are usually forced into it. They're not usually, they don't usually go there on their own accord. The ones that do are usually happy, but they go there because their family has decided they're not safe at home. And then their family has sold their home and taken them away from everything they have. So losing, like imagine if you're 30 years old and someone just takes you away from everything that you've built up in your life, it's going to be really difficult. And I imagine that there's a huge spectrum for this, but could you give any sort of average of how much visitation they get there from their families? Yeah, I was going to ask that, yeah. Eh, Some people get nothing. Some, I I worked in a facility with about 150 people. So some of them, I never met their families. Some of them, really, no one visited them. Other ones, there was someone there every day, typically. What's their proportion? Like, is it like... 50% 50% of people in the facility you were at never got visited or is it like 10% didn't get visited? Probably more like 50%. Really? Uh, I don't want to say never because people would visit once a month. Most people would probably visit occasionally, but the people for people who visit the people who were visited often would probably be within like probably 20% of them. Yeah. And really it was the people who had a lot of kids that got visited a lot. <laughs> <laughs> As it convinced you, like, I got to have a bunch of kids. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> For those people that are there that are physically able to and that want to, are they able to find a community there? Like, is it easy to have hey i can get a group of friends here that can we can experience this together and have a good community it's pretty difficult because most of the people have some level of dementia so one person might want to connect and like develop this friendship but if the other person is repeating themselves or they're just not going to be able to do that if there's certain levels of dementia involved there are definitely a certain amount of really good friendships that happen, but a lot of them were friendships that happened before they were in nursing homes. What's what's like the best thing you as a as an employee at these places were able to do to make their life better? Again, it's different with everyone because some of them, all they want is just if you help them with the littlest thing, if you give them a Kleenex, they're eternally grateful. <laughs> so that's all they need, right? And that means the world to somebody who's doing it for them. But really, I find the time that they're the most grateful is if you sit down with them and you really try to connect, like try to listen to the stories, listen to their, like talk about their pains, right? Because people don't do that. And the nurses hardly have time for that. So that's where they would feel like they're a person. I heard a bit of a rumor that maybe you like crawled into bed with old ladies to like listen to their stories. Sometimes. <laughs> Is that something where you're like pleading the fifth because it might be a crime or are you going to tell us about it? No, it's totally fine. But to them, it's like you might feel like a, a daughter to them or you're going to feel like family if 
the people around you are comfortable with you. There's a level of professionalism, but if some of them want that, then they want a deep connection. You're not going to have that deep connection if you're just acting like a soldier. You know what I mean? How would you say your faith helped you the most being an employee in in a nursing home? Just viewing them as real people. Like, they're real people with real needs, and they have spiritual needs. So, I don't know, you kind of see it in a bigger picture. There's a different mm-hmm. perspective. Not saying that people who aren't Christians can't see them as real people, but... Well, I think the temptation, if you're in a place like that long enough, would be to start seeing them as just a body to feed, or a frustrating be- human being, or whatever. Yeah. And so to have something that calls you back to know they're real people, I think is everybody needs that. Mm-hmm. What? I'm assuming you saw questionable stuff at times where we kind of talk about elder abuse and there's like the obvious I hit you, but there's a lot of more gray areas where it's like, I need to be more aggressive with you to get you into the shower or I need to like all those kind of gray areas where like, how did you deal with those? It's hard because if you're working with someone who's really stubborn, you're going to be frustrated. So, I mean, I saw it a lot. Um, There are a lot of people that I would work with that they didn't respect them. I mean, it goes back to that thing where you're viewing them as, as you view them as a job and not as a real person. When you're working with people with dementia, you need to understand that there's always, there's always, always a reason why they're acting the way they are. The way they're responding is because of something that we can't see. Like they might, there might be something physical happening that is causing them to be really frustrated and we can't see that. So always Mm -hmm. kind of going back to that is really good. But I mean, we're all humans, so people aren't going to actually, you're not going to always be treating people properly. No, that's really helpful to hear (laughs) because, you know, you do wonder about that. Like, well, every, every parent will admit to times when they got frustrated and they didn't treat their kid right because they have so much more power than their kid. Yeah. Where it's like at some point you just want to yank their arm to get them out of the store or something. And every parent's done that. And I'm sure it's super hard with elderly people because you had a long shift and they was understaffed and whatever. And like, you just want these people who can't communicate with you to do something. And I think it's easy to start to treat them like they're a child, which is a major issue, but you kind of resort to that like discipline thing, which doesn't work with an adult. That doesn't work with someone who has a mental illness. You know what I mean? With those that are responsive and can communicate, even if, their brain has started to go can you always can you always like sit down and just talk it through or is there places where their stubbornness or their pride or their pain or something just makes that barrier where you just can't reach them it it's different for everyone but definitely there is a like they're incapable of reason often, mm-hmm. which is the disease, right? Yeah. People who don't have dementia, you don't, you're not going to have that problem. 
they're just going to be frustrated because they think you're a bad person, not because they have a disease. Like, Do you think it's a big problem having elderly people segmented from the rest of the population in homes? Or do you think it's just like, we just have to deal with it because the rest of society can't take care of them? I think there's a certain amount that it has to happen just because how are you going to, well, sometimes they do it, but how are you going to have the children interacting with the elderly when the elderly need this kind of care and the children need this kind of care. So it makes sense why it happens. I don't think it's good for society because our children don't know how to interact with elderly and that's an issue. What do we lose? This sounds really bad, but like, give me reasons why it's a bad thing that we don't see the elderly, that they are segmented. If people don't know how to interact with people that are different, of in different social situations or different ages, you're not able to really relate to them. If you're not able to relate to them, you can't, you won't view them quite as much like a person. Do you think young people don't know how to talk to old people anymore? Absolutely. It's different if you're communicating with your grandparents. It's pretty different than the general public. <laughs> like, what do we not know? Like, what did you have to learn? How, like, what topics are relevant to them? How they joke? How they, what they care about? Everything is different. Just the conversation flows differently. I probably don't know how to speak to... Like, Oma is, like, really with it, and which is so enjoyable because she's, like, really quick. And, like, I love talking with her about stuff. But I don't know if she's a prototypical elderly person where mm-hmm. I don't know how to talk always to... Huh. Yeah, I don't. No? <laughs> no. Yeah, and it is always impressive when you see a young person really able to talk really well to an older person. And you're like, I want to be able to do that. You know what I mean? And. Mm-hmm makes you jealous. Oh, you've cultivated that skill in a way that I, I don't know how to do that even. Uh, it's a bit convicting. Do you think there's value in the intergenerational wisdom argument? Like, you know, gray hair is our wisdom. and Because I usually call that argument bunk and I'm like, old people aren't that wise. <laughs> if you're a wise person, you're going to be wise when you're 30 and you're just going to continue to be wise. And when you, if you're a non-wise person, it doesn't matter how old you get, you're just going to stay foolish. I think it depends on the person, really, because one person will go through life and just become more and more stubborn and more and more set in their ways, and they're not going to be really helpful. But the people right. who have gone through and have realized that they're not perfect and have realized that life is a struggle and have kind of navigated things and tried to learn from them. If they have that kind of perspective going through life, I think they have a lot to offer. Like what have you learned from an elderly person? If you start talking to them about their life, they'll start talking about their struggles and the things that were really hard and the things that were really valuable to them. And if you're sitting with someone who's on their deathbed, they're not going to be talking about like their possessions or whatever, they're going to talk about the things that were valuable. And I think seeing that is really important. I think I agree, especially on the death issue, where dying people we never see. Where I, I, And because I studied the Middle Ages, I just think about like, 
you just saw a lot of death in your life. You saw your parents or your grandparents get old and die. And you saw your siblings die and things like that where it's like, it wasn't as shocking almost. And you learned like, oh, death is normal and I need to keep it in mind, but it doesn't have to paralyze me. Where because I never see death, I get freaked out about it. Where the most helpful thing I've ever had dealing with death myself is talking to my Oma. Mm-hmm. Where I, you know, I had a great conversation where I was like, Oma, are you scared of death? And she was like, she was 88 at the time. And she was like, I was until about six months ago. I was like, what? What do you mean? What does that mean? And like I had this great conversation with her where it's like, that has been the most helpful thing for me. It's it's tough because this is an ideal that I don't always strive for, but I we are so separated from the elderly. We we don't want to have them around. Just like we don't want to have young kids around. We just want to be with like people. Yeah, a big part of Christ's heart and ministry was for all the people groups that are disparaged and pushed to the side so if in our culture the elderly are just marginalized marginalized then those are the people that jesus would have us going to here's another one of those big things that i was in the car and i chewed on it for a long time and it might be a stupid (laughs) idea so l'arche was started by a french canadian jean vanier who's a catholic man because he was convicted that the way we're treating the mentally disabled is really destructive. That we see people based on their usefulness to us, and when people aren't productive, we drop them. And that as Christians, sanctity of life means that people are have dignity even when they don't contribute, right? So he realized, especially back in like the 60s when he started L'Arche, that we put the mentally, severely mentally disabled in mental institutions. These big institutions where there'd be hundreds of people and like he visited them and he was saying, you have rows and rows and rows of beds of children and nobody's crying. And it's really creepy, he said, because people stop crying when they don't believe they'll be heard anymore. Like it's the biggest despair ever. And so he decided, you know, because there's always been Christians who, like, volunteered at mental institutions and visited and, like, did really wonderful things, but they used the current system. And he decided this system is crap. Like, it inherently makes people into less of a human. So he decided to make a new model where L'Arche is, like, seven to ten people in a home, in a community... And so Edmonton's got a couple of them, but they're in a ton of countries all around the world. Seven to ten people with like two to three full-time staff. And they live as a family almost in that community. It's a whole different model. And what I wonder with nursing homes is, as Christians, we often deal with nursing homes like, oh, we should go do a service there. We should go carol at Christmas. We We should visit. But should we just totally like dismantle this model because... It really dehumanizes people. I think there definitely needs to be a new model. Like a totally new model would be good. When you have something that looks like a hospital, they're never going to feel at home there because they're going to think they're in a hospital. 
exactly. That's the thing with just you can make a nursing home feel do everything you can, but it's not a home. Mm-hmm. You just have to remove them from that place to like get them back to a place where they're they have more dignity. But dignity. also, even if it is a place that looks like a home and you could be comfortable in it, it's not their home. It's not where they want to be. It becomes their home. Yeah, but that's they're still being taken away from their home. So it's never going to feel like... See, that's why home care is such a great thing because people go into their home, so they're fully... They're pretty much independent. They do what they want. They have their own things. They're content. Right. Someone comes in and that's helps true. them. Yeah. You're right. And in one sense, like, large people stay in those homes for 20, 30 years... So it becomes their home, while nursing homes, the typical stay is not that long because you're pretty bad by the time you get there. And so can it ever become your home? Yeah, it's a good question. That is a difference. You're right. I do think there I do think there is a push towards home care, though. I think people understand that that's the the best way for the elderly to survive, (laughs) because once you're put in a, a nursing home, Really, you don't you don't live that long because they don't want to live. So I think there's a push for that, and I think it it makes more sense with funding because you don't have to you don't have to build buildings, you don't have to do anything like that. You just need people who will drive. <laughs> totally, totally. But then those people they they're not in a community of people like that. But they don't really necessarily want that. They want their family. But it has to change because our world cannot fit those people into nursing homes. It really can't. The only way it's going to happen is through something like home care. Yeah, or we just beef these nursing homes into like caring for 2,000 people. But see, there's not even even room. There's not even beds. No, I'm saying you would have – it's like with the war on drugs, how the U.S. prison population like quadrupled and they just built a cut – Brilliant facilities and made the facilities bigger and like that's terrible and has led to so much awfulness but they just had to do it because they had to like hold all these people and that's what worries me is that we're going to realize holy crap we have a lot of elderly people to deal with in 20 years and so we're going to build these massive institutions with slim staffing and it's really going to get worse before it gets better and that's scary to me like yeah I would hope we figure this out before that because it could get worse. Okay, Olive, I want to talk specifically about Christians. Christians care about this issue. I so respect pastors for how much time they spend on visitations of the elderly where I think like that is the most holy work they do and we never see it. So I think Christians care about this, but we don't always know how to help. What have you seen that's good olive and what do you see that is not super helpful i think there's a huge distance because people don't know how to talk to elderly and i think the thing that they need the most is a connection Hmm. so i think that's i think there are people who are doing that i don't think is happening as much as it should so you might have your pastor visiting them or a couple people but what about the rest of the church I used to do that youth group caroling. Did you ever do that, Dave? Yeah, it was it was too awkward, though. Right. He'd sing, and then it was like, what do you do? You want to just leave. 
because what do you do? So was that helpful? Is that do elderly people really like that, or is that something that we just decided we should do to feel less guilty? <laughs> I'm not an elderly person, so I can't really say how they feel about it because they might be thinking this is stupid. What a waste of time. But they're not going to say that. So what I do know is that a lot of them do appreciate it. A lot of them really love when churches come and do services and sing hymns because they love singing hymns. And it takes them back Mm. to good memories. So I think that's good. There's nothing wrong with that. But, and I think that they really love to see kids. It just, older people just get really it lights up their world when they see a baby or whatever. So yeah, that's good. But it's not like these kids are super involved in their lives because I'm sure they, I'm sure they see that it's awkward. Yeah. You're saying like music is kind of, it, it is a good connection. Point. Yeah, it is for sure. And one thing that talking about people with dementia, um, even if their dementia has progressed very, very far, their ability to understand music or even like acknowledge that it's happening, that's the last sense that goes. So even if they can't talk to you, they might fully be understanding the music or be encouraged by it or whatever. That's really cool. Do you have any other tips for like how Christians can think about this or things that are practical that are helpful? I think it's I think it's just important to get people involved in a way that isn't just walking in for an hour and then leaving. Um because it wasn't like I found going to nursing homes as a kid really awkward. It wasn't until I started working in nursing homes and I started watching other people interact with them and starting to do it myself that I learned how to do it. And I became comfortable with it and I became passionate about it. Right. So if, if people see that and if they kind of are taught how to connect with those people, I think that that would change the interactions. And I wonder if it's just something like really practical would be the old people in your church make a habit of talking to them for five minutes every Sunday. Yeah, so there are people in my church that they have taught their kids that it's really important to greet the older people as well, not just the people that they know really well. And those kids will go over and every week they'll give them a hug. And that means the world to them. So you see all these kids like lining up to give them hugs. And like, how much does that mean to them? And they're slowly learning how to interact with them. And that it's good and important. Olive, you're the best. You can become the saint of incontinence or something like that. People will pray to you as they eat their prunes. I'm just saying, do the elderly people have a saint? They must. We should look that up. If you know who the elderly people's saint is, please, please email us. Mm-hmm. How could they email us, Dave? <laughs> See that transition? You can email us at desiringbrethrenpodcast at gmail.com. Mm. And how can they reach Olive if they're like, oh, she's not married yet. I have a chance. I got a week. <laughs> <laughs> Olive's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> 
Yeah, and if you go to our Facebook page and you throw up questions that you have about how to interact with elderly people, I guarantee, personally guarantee, that I will force Olive to answer them. <laughs> Any shout-outs you need to give Olive before we sign off? Like, you'd like to thank us for, like, having you on and, like, how incredible we are. Well, thanks, guys. <laughs> You're welcome. We give what we can. No, these <laughs> There's only so much we can. These conversations are Thank you, These Olive. conversations are really important and they're definitely not happening. So, this is really good. All right. Well, I'm Tanner Hawks. I'm David Short. And I'm Olive Morgan.